Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. Today, as I get back into podcasting, since it has been a while, and thanks for everybody for hanging in there and coming back with me and getting into this, we're going to talk about the pandemic in terms of isolation. So my very gracious newer friend, Ari, is here to talk to me about this. So Ari goes by they, them pronouns. Hopefully I don't mess that up. We'll see. New world, new age, trying new things. And I'm not ashamed to say we met on TikTok. So Ari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's, I'm very excited to be here. Well, I would love to start a little bit about uh, just talking about TikTok, since that's how we met, and that's the world that we all kind of live in nowadays. I'm a Gen Xer, you're a millennial, you know, that seems to be a big deal now that we're all separated by our generations, even though who gives a shit, frankly. So, so vitally (laughs) important, though, you know, (laughs) everybody should be aware of their generational divide and know what side, no, I'm kidding. I just, I, I feel you so hard on that. Speaking of TikTok, AARP is on TikTok targeting Gen X. So there's that. (laughs) It doesn't surprise. It's like kind of like what happens with every media platform, you know, like as people migrate to it and start to understand it and stuff. Because like the other day I saw um, somebody who is a boomer talking about like, yeah, all the young people have all the reasons to be angry. I'm angry with them. And then he's like, but then there was somebody who told me I shouldn't be on TikTok and you can get off my lawn, you little shit. And it was just like, <laughs> oh, I, I feel that. Okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it was fun. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely like the interesting thing about TikTok is how much your experience is shaped by what you watch and kind of like what you interact with. Like it, it's, it's the platform that made me hyper conscious of like, what I like click on or like how long I give something my attention. Like if I subconsciously start feeling like I don't, I don't like this, I will generally try to scroll as fast as I can. And if I get curious, I'll go with like a second account or something. But like I, by the the way you maintain your algorithm just changes everything about how that app works. So it's why like when you hear some guy go, it's just teenagers dancing in your, their underwear. That's saying a lot about that man <laughs> right there. I mean, I guess I hadn't really thought about it because I haven't heard that for a while, but I certainly do hear I ended up on the wrong side of TikTok. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's always fun, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll have you know, uh, for preparation of this episode, I uh, attempted to scroll all the way to the beginning of your TikTok experience. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Took me a while because you're pretty prolific. Uh. (laughs) Apparently, January 5th of 2020 is where we start our journey or where you started your journey on TikTok. Well, like my first post, actually, no, that actually tracked. Never mind. I'll, I'll be quiet because I, I remember making my account in the uh, fifth wheel while I was homeless, like our first night um, out of our old house. And I was like, I need something distracting. So that's when I really like started using TikTok. It was so it's an easy date to remember the 4th of July because there was all the fireworks. So I was like, ah, it makes anniversaries easy. Well, and that is a great, that's a great place to kind of back up because I did skip ahead a bit. So 
now that I'm thinking about it, of course, you had TikTok before you made your first post. I should have said your first post was July the 5th as that I saw. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So maybe just give us just a quick, whatever you're comfortable with background of what's what's happened to you in the last, I guess, before TikTok. Let's start there. And then okay. kind of so how like what, that transition happened. So like what what brought me to TikTok? That's a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So much like everybody else, I started hearing about like the COVID pandemic starting in about February of 2020 or so. Um, and we were making, I remember making jokes about it at work, like, huh, because I'd been dealing with a really severe case of like bronchitis, probably almost pneumonia um, from December of 2019. And like, I just never really recovered from that. So like, I had to take work out, uh, get out of work sick at the end of February. And, I, you know, the joke was like, huh, you know, don't have COVID, but I am sick. And they were like, no, actually, if you're sick, please stay home. And then in March, when things really got serious, especially here in the state of Washington, um, I think that's when, like, we really started seeing the reporting about the retirement home where it really, like, ran loose and everything else. That's when it was like, oh, no. And then it seemed it all happened so quickly where we were sent for lockdown and then, you know, signed up for unemployment. My job was really good about like, hey, if you want to stay home, stay home, but we'll also let you work. Being a boatyard, it was kind of like blue collar work. So we weren't necessarily around people a lot. And we were considered the business was considered essential due to it having to do with transportation and um, people's housing if they were a liveaboard and stuff. So that's why we kind of like had to stay open, but not at full capacity. I opted to stay home just because like, we had just moved to a new place from the place we'd been at for 10 years. So there was a lot I could do at home to like kind of settle us out. And then immediately finding out that the house was for sale again, because that landlord had to go to Texas. It was a whole mess. So that was going on. And then I just got progressively sicker as um, time went on. I thought I was getting, I thought I had COVID probably because mainly it was really hard for me to breathe. Like I could not catch my breath and that progressed through March and uh, April until like I couldn't walk across my house. I think that um, must have just been terrifying as you're hearing these reports of COVID. Like oh, not, not, I mean, we'll get to your diagnosis and I'm sure that's terrifying too, but I can imagine at the start of a global pandemic, you're having the symptoms of this thing. Exactly. Like, and breath was the number one that everyone reported, you know, and like you're seeing at that point in time, you're seeing all the footage of like hospitals with quarantine wards in the parking lots and, you know, people saying like, hey, if you are young and able bodied, you know, stay home if you can and try to like kind of tough this out. So that's what I took to heart because I was a good little bootstrapper who was like, you know, I am young and tough and I have toughed out everything else I've been through. So I pushed that shit to the edge. Like I just kept going and going. And the, yeah, the footage was scary. I was like, I don't want to go into quarantine. Like that doesn't look fun either. And, um, but slowly, like it, but it got to the point where I could barely get across my bedroom. Um, and I had a day where my legs swole so bad I could barely bend them. And I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I thought that was just something weird going on with my body i don't google uh you know symptoms just as a personal rule for the internet that's probably a I, good idea uh, it just it leads it will always lead you to death <laughs> that's yeah that is the the impression i've gotten from most of that and i'm not a medical professional so i just you know was like well i don't feel great but i'm not dying i don't think 
Uh. <laughs> <laughs> cut to. <laughs> yeah. So cut to May is finally when I had the business I was working for got sold. So they needed to kind this of. This is May of 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they needed to kind of recheck like I they were technically starting the business back up. So they needed a doctor's note for me. So I went to the respiratory clinic and I was like, okay, you know, I'll go get checked out. But because I didn't have a temperature and because they could hear like wet breathing, they were like, oh, you still have bronchitis. And I was like, I mean, this doesn't feel like that, but okay. You know, like medical professionals, they know what they're doing. And like, I think tests were hard to get at that time. So they didn't test me for COVID or anything. And they gave me an albuterol inhaler and uh, sent me home. And they were like, if, you get, if it gets worse or if it's not any better, come back and we'll work it out then in two weeks. So did that, which brought us to May 16th. And I went to the ER because the respiratory clinic was like, they have better testing capability. They'll be able to figure out what's going on and why you're not any better. And so at the ER, I checked myself in and everybody, what I was like, yeah, you know, I can't breathe. I can barely walk. And they were like, it's probably COVID, you know, because that makes sense with that <laughs> symptom. That is the, that's the horse. That is the horse and not the zebra, right? right. <laughs> so they got me into the room. They took the swab for the test. And this is the time when like the fast tests were hard to do or it was going to, I don't know what the technicals are behind the scenes, but like they could test me and they had to expedite it um, after they took my EKG because they noticed my heart rate was kind of high, right? And then I was like, yeah, and my legs are all swollen. Like, I don't know what's going on. And the nurse just gives me this look and she's like, so we're going to put you on some Lasix. It helps you pee a lot. And I was like, oh, okay. Is that going to help with the swelling? And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's going to help. <laughs> and then the thing was that what made this so scary was nobody talked to me or told me anything that might be going on. I got an EKG and then all of a sudden they brought in the x-ray machine and they were like, we're going to give you a chest x-ray. And I was like, okay and they're like and we expedited your covid results so we're gonna know in a few hours and just so um, people listening understand you're in your early 30s yeah no well, i'm 29 at, at this point at this point you're late 20s so so you're not necessarily thinking anything like chronic illness right at this point oh, absolutely not right. there's no I, my family doesn't have a history of that kind of right. thing well like right my uh one of my dad's cousins died of a heart attack in his 30s but that's so far removed from me that it was just kind of like Right. You know, I, I wasn't suspecting anything. I was there for a doctor's note so that I can tell my work, hey, I'm still too ill to go to work. <laughs> and um, I I never got one, actually. I don't know they think about it. I never got a doctor's note, but we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so it, after the chest x-ray, I was in there for another couple of hours. And all of a sudden, a nurse showed up and was like, okay, we're gonna go get your CT scan now. And I was like, I think, are you sure? Do you mean like a EKG like I didn't know what like what they would have meant because right. I was positive they didn't need a CT scan and they're like no we're gonna go get your CT scan so we got that done that was fine it was easy and it was two more hours after that and at this point I'd, I'd come at, at noon on a Saturday and we're working on like five or six p.m. now and oh, long doctor's visit note I know and I'm just sitting in this <laughs> doctor's ER note room. visit <laughs> Yeah. And I'm just sitting in this ER bed, just kind of like, okay, this is like taking a long time. And finally, um, it was the, uh, it was probably an RN, I think, you know, the person who was like supervising everybody and kind of managing everything. And she comes in and she's like, okay, so you don't have COVID. And it was like, sweet, like good. I mean, you know, my, I have the shortness of breath and she's like, yeah, well you, you have heart failure. <laughs> and 
I just remember like it just didn't register like it wasn't like it wasn't like immediately scary because I was just like no like that's not right <laughs> are you like I'm still alive if my heart's failing I shouldn't be alive because I don't know anything at that point like it didn't make any sense to me and again um, 29 like yeah who, I'm think, who would think that <laughs> even WebMD isn't gonna think that <laughs> I know yeah exactly and it's just like I didn't know anything about it and I was like well so what do I didn't know what to do I was just sitting there dumbfounded and they're like okay so we're gonna means we're gonna admit you to the hospital and we'll know more after we can get testing something like that like it's the the details there are a little fuzzy but the next thing I do remember is that a nurse came in about 45 minutes later I was like okay actually what we're gonna do is we're gonna transfer you because you need to see a cardiologist and ours doesn't come in until Monday this is just a day's difference. Um, looking back now, it's like, I think I was a whole lot closer to dying than anyone really wanted to tell me <laughs> was the impression I get. Not that I would have registered it either. I, I The whole time I was just kind of, uh, I didn't know what to do. So uh, as they were getting ready for a transport, which took a couple hours to figure out um, and like making sure my insurance would cover it. I had Kaiser Permanente at the time. And I was paying for like the highest level I could get through my work, um, which I I don't know how much of a difference that made in the end, <laughs> but it didn't last, you know, past, uh, past this because um, once I got transferred and they started taking like echocardiograms and stuff, nobody, there was no diagnosis at this point. There was just something is wrong with my heart and there was a lot of fluid there. That's kind of all I really understood about what was going on. And so the next week basically was just me being in a hospital that was locked down. So nobody could come see me. <laughs> and I've got everybody and their brother texting me and calling me and trying to figure out what's going on. At the time, my sister actually thankfully kind of became point for me. I'm like, can you please talk to everyone? Because I can't, I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. So um, I basically just, I kept it to her and, um, my parents who are involved in medical billing at first and I was just like please tell me what to do because I just don't know and um, long story longer basically uh, I ended up getting a heart cath um, at the hospital along with a bunch of like fancy radioactive scans I don't remember those very well but the the heart cath was the big one where they confirmed because it's the only way you can um, uh, for sure diagnose pulmonary hypertension so um bum, your bum, bum. <laughs> I have, exactly which um for those who don't know pulmonary hypertension is where your pulmonary artery which is between your heart and your lungs um has hyper is hypertensive is the blood pressure is too high and the it, this blood pressure is different from the rest of your body because the blood pressure you get measured with a cuff is the pressure used to transfer all the blood in your body to your organs but the pulmonary artery only has to go a couple inches. So the pressure in there is supposed to be like 30 over 15, I think, or something like that. Something very low. It's it's not far, right? And mine was uh, 78 over 45. So it was it was hypertensive. They confirmed. They were like, yes, this is the problem. And so getting discharged from the hospital, it was a lot of like, uh, there was just going to be follow-up with a cardiologist and a pulmonologist. And... Once we got home, about four days after being discharged, we were told by our landlord that we had to be out of our house in 30 days because <laughs> it was the house is being purchased. So 
with all of this, um, we were never able to find housing that we could afford while juggling all my medical stuff. Um, there's like between the how expensive the rent is here. And then my partner at the time didn't have a job yet. He ended up taking my job, actually. Well, not direct, but <laughs> he ended up working for the place I used to because they really liked me there. And he's thankfully a good craftsman. So they were like, oh, well, if Eric can't come back, uh, let's, you know, you need income still, right? And we're like, yes, yes, please. <laughs> so that worked out really well. But it meant that we basically had no savings. We just moved already and there was nowhere to go. So uh, we kept looking and kept looking. And then finally at the last like four days, some family members of mine had a fifth wheel in storage on an empty building lot. And uh, we were able to go sleep there at least and not be like in the car on the streets because also at this time is when the wildfires are so bad in Washington that the like everywhere looks like it's Silent Hill, like smoke everywhere and i just found out that i had like a lung and heart problem <laughs> so at least in the fifth wheel the big thing was we could filter the air coming in and so that's how that worked out and on the day that we were the first night we were staying in the fifth wheel i was so out of my mind i was like i need any distraction i can take right now because i am i was falling apart basically when i wasn't just dissociating and that's when i downloaded tiktok <laughs> So, okay, if this next part as we're going into it sounds a little funky, it is because I had to switch computers and change the zoom and it went from uh, a stereo to a mono recording. All right, so to summarize, it is now into the end of May, beginning of June-ish. Mm -hmm. You have, you're dealing with a pandemic that the whole entire world is dealing with. You have just been diagnosed with a very serious life-limiting illness that's possibly terminal. And you just lost your job. And you got kicked out of your house, basically, because of... Okay, what what else can go wrong? I'm just wondering. It was, well, and like... I actually like looking back now, I have really fond memories of the trailer just because I was on kind of autopilot and I've lately have been in so much just angst. <laughs> the thought of that's kind of nice, but it really was like there's I've talked to a couple friends about this, a friend down in Oregon and um, one other person where like there's this sort of like flavor of hopelessness that felt like it was around everybody because you also have all of the exhausting election bullshit going on. And just this growing horror of like watching how things we were doing that, you know, like the first two weeks or so of shutdowns where like we were really strict about things. It was really serious. And then watching people suddenly be like, well, it's not it's not that serious. We're not making money. So it's not that serious. Like because you could see it happening as well as like, you know, watching the Cheeto man just sort of panic about this and his image and the reelection and whatever um a lot of like what really brought or like kept me on tiktok is a lot of social media i'd tried but it wasn't sticky like i could never maintain anything for a while but tiktok it was so cathartic to see angry people yelling about <laughs> things that seemed so common sense so pat lawler um 
Lee with no name were two big uh, main ones that are still my mutuals to this day and who are people I love dearly. <laughs> um, but they're, they're not the only ones. Like there were several, like there's these people where it was like, okay, I'm not crazy. I, you know, we're, this is insane and unprecedented. And it seems like people are fighting to do something that does not make sense. And then like just watching the wildly um, like, racist and other things happening and the blm protests really came to swing around this time too like late summer i remember um right, and that's also... the summer of george, george floyd's death exactly and um so there was that going on too um and then like a month into having tiktok i went massively viral for an angry repotting video i did of an orchid i was, I was... gonna ask about that so as i was going through the uh the posts that you had from early on you had several videos do very very well but tell me about this uh angry orchid situation well like i'd, I'd figured out that there was like plant talk and stuff like people who liked house plants and everything and um to kind of cheer me up like my my partner didn't know what to do like neither of us really did being in the situation we were in so he brought me home an orchid a moth orchid which are a type of um this they're similar to air plants they're an epiphyte so they don't need soil um they grow on like the sides of trees and stuff in the well orchids are thousands of plants but moth orchids i should say are from like swamps and stuff and they cling to the side of things like little little plant crabs and just live off of the humidity and the rainwater and whatnot um and because of this is how i i, I knew orchids um i was so angry when i read the label and it was like giving you all this nonsense advice to kill the flower. And it was just kind of a last straw moment. It was something that I knew enough about to be righteously angry on the behalf of consumers everywhere <laughs> that you get tricked into thinking you're terrible at being, you know, growing plants. Um, it took me years of killing plants to really get good at growing them and just seeing how people are led astray just hit a nerve for me. So I just made a video where I was just yelling at the camera and going, you don't need to do this. Look at these gross roots that they give you anyway. And then they tell you to keep it in there. And they don't tell you it needs air and blah, like just shouting and cursing. And then I put, uh, I put that Star Wars uh, song from when Darth Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn are fighting. I forget what it's called in the background of this. So you've got this dramatic music, me yelling and doing like kind of the millennial zoom and everything else on these plants. And at first it was like, a lot of people were just like, yeah, that's messed up. And I just watched and, and like, like, I was already surprised at the number of, like TikTok's always surprising for anybody from another social media platform because you're not used to the amount of views that TikTok shows and likes. Like there was just, especially at the time, like you, you just are used to that kind of rapid feedback. And that's what's really addicting at first is like being like, oh, there's like a hundred people who liked my video. And then um, with the orchid video, it was the first one that hit like a thousand. And then it was like, you know, 10,000. And I was shocked the entire time because this happened in a matter of hours. Um, by the evening that I'd posted it, it reached 500,000 likes. Or no, it wasn't likes, it was views. But still, like, that's just, a lot. Yeah, it, it was overwhelming. And I'm just sitting there like, what the hell is going on? And then it was within like two or three days that it hit into the millions. And it was just, such a bewildering experience you're overwhelmed by the amount of comments that you get and everything else and like every little detail of your video 
um i was really lucky to get a lot of uh, orchid people who pointed out that like white roots aren't unhealthy which is just something i didn't know and just other really helpful stuff so i did follow-up videos and like you get it was a really rough introduction into nobody ever checks the comments and nobody ever checks your update videos <laughs> and then also learning how to make that accessible for people because this is before you could do comment replies and before really anything to link your videos other than just going to someone's page and scrolling through um and i'm somebody who naturally is like kind of always righteously angry that people don't get told that plants are just gonna die a lot and you'll just get better at not killing them after you kill a lot of them and it's a constant cycle like every plant person i know from like my mentors to people who own greenhouses every single one of us has plants die every year all of us i don't know a single person who goes like you know none of my plants have ever died like they don't, you don't reach a point where you ever can say that um so that's kind of like the niche i went into for a while of just trying to do plant care that's like hey if it works for you or if something doesn't work out don't feel bad just keep trying if you enjoy it you're not hurting the plants you're not like a bad person for keep <laughs> keeping to trying to like grow stuff you know for me like spider plants were like what i called my confidence plant because they love being overwatered they're fine with it um and they reproduce like crazy so i could just keep popping babies into pots and then if one died or a plant looked gross i could just replace it with another and you can do a nursery trick with it too where you just pop them back into the same pot to make the plant look fuller so that's ah. how they do that of oftentimes when you see like stuff and it's like just way over full at the nursery especially if it's more of a big box store if you pull those plants out and look at the roots half the time they're cuttings just all stuck into the dirt <laughs> or um, multiple plants shoved into the same pot and that's how you can make it look like oh that's a beautiful plant it's because it's more than one plant <laughs> tricky so anyway that's a little tidbit um and that was like i got or i guess i did do the niche thing for a while which is what a lot of tiktok creators do where you just kind of get pigeonholed into this one thing because that's where all your videos really take off um well i noticed was, a lot of your other videos after you know i didn't stop to look at all the time frames but it was another few months six months or so later and probably around the same time i started seeing your videos because i resisted tiktok um no that could be a whole episode tiktok in itself and i know right you know how much it's changed really since its inception but um that, that could be an entire video essay yeah and side yeah. note too, this is just funny is that up until i had tiktok my partner had had it and i did nothing but shit talk that app <laughs> for like at least a good year he had it for a year because he was like look at this cool app where you can see some videos and stuff and i'm like that's stupid that's some chinese bullshit whatever i'd been reading in the newspapers you know yeah and i have to eat my words every time i think about that well i kept resisting but people kept sending me videos and i'll tell you what got me to join tiktok was that when you go to watch a video it would end it would refresh back to like this page that wants you to sign up. And it was the same video over and over and over and over. And I finally couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> Just to get a break from not seeing the same video after I watch whatever they sent me. That's why I signed up. That's awesome. It that just was my breaking point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my breaking point. But <clears throat> no, I was going to say a lot of your videos after that 
um, that went really, you know, viral and crazy were the ones that you did the paper, like the signs you wrote out mm -hmm. words. Yeah, that started actually, I just the other day, I sent the first TikTok I ever did with that to a friend of mine, because it was a duet with um, Hank Green, where he was, it starts off, he's like, if I weren't so sad, this, uh, this would make me angry, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the how people would downplay the 1%, you know, fatality rate or whatever you want to call it. Um, that was like, oh, only 1% of people are dying. And he's like, hey, the only way you can see this as a good thing is if you think that we never get sick and never die. And or that you just don't care that like there's people, you know, it, he's like, basically, all of these people where you think, well, they would have died anyway. They, you know, they had all these health conditions and or like where they were unhealthy whatever you're they're saying about it and he's like yeah that might be true they were gonna die anyway but it didn't have to be of COVID. it did not have to be now it could have been five ten twenty years later they could have had their life and it's preventable mm -hmm. that's why you know and i just remember feeling so strongly about that that i made just a sign that said this and i wrote it backwards so that it would look right on my phone <laughs> And, and now they um, have the the green screen flip or whatever, so you can read things. But exactly. But at the time, I just you know, like I was like a prop because I'd I'd seen a lot of people be like duets where they're sitting there and they you know just record their face. And at the time, I was like, I I can't do that. I wasn't comfortable really yet on camera. Um, it, that took like a year, I think, before I was just like fully to the point where I'm desensitized to it now. <laughs> but um, had some at hair the time, changes since then. Yeah, I do that's a whole fun thing on its own but <laughs> um but yeah like so that's that's when I started the this arrow that's all I called them and at the time too I was manually manually plugging in captions before they had captioning for TikTok too so every time I did a duet I tried to manually do captions in their text thing and that's such a nightmare I'm I do not miss the days of doing my best to do accessibility you know the ways that I could and I, there were days I couldn't, you know, we, I, I tried my best. And there were also, there was a style of TikTok I did for a long time that was timing captions in like an exaggerated way and stuff. Kind of my pre-word um, TikToks, whatever you want to call them. And transcribing, that's the word I was looking for before I was transcribing <laughs> on paper. Uh, so anyway, that's what I did with that. And then I just kept finding TikToks where these people were saying whatever it was that I wanted to like boost the message of, and there was no way to really repost anything. Um, the best you could do was just duet something and like black out your screen or point or do something. So I just started using the, this arrows in different ways to be, just be like, Hey, that's, that's my thing. And it was for like a year and a half or so. <laughs> um, they went through a couple iterations and then the, um, the most permanent one though, the one they used the longest was when there was a, guy talking about the black lives matter stuff and like how people were trying to claim is costing you know x amount of dollars or whatever from riots and stuff and he's like let's look at the nypd's um like yeah uh, what's it called the payout their uh their budget like, for the year yeah their budget for like um paying claims and stuff of mistreatment oh, right. and things you know I, I, there's a word for that but um and it was like something in the realm of like some hundred million dollars or something, like just an insane amount of money just for one year mm -hmm. and um 
it was after that TikTok too. I remember it so clearly that I made my last black this arrow with a white outline around it. And a woman commented on that going, can you just make another page? Because, you know, some of us just want to see the plant content. And it's from that moment on that I said, I am never making another account. You are going to see every single thing that I want to boost here about BLM, about, you know, LGBTQIA issues, about everything else, because none of that is separate from my plant content. It is all related. It, it, it affects everything. Which meant also, though, that there is never a point from that moment on that any of my content is, like, polished, period. Other than my transcription videos, which are just a whole different thing. But from that moment on, I was like, I don't care. I am. I was just so offended at the thought that someone was like, I just don't want to see that you, like, you know, support certain things. I just want to live in my bubble where I don't have to think about things. I was just like, that is so ridiculous. And I think also being in isolation still at the time, like... I was still very hot in my anger <laughs> about things um, and my increasing frustration with the attitudes of people, like just kind of letting things go and letting things go. Cause it was just, it never stopped after that. You know what I mean? So. Well, that's a great segue <clears throat> for, for our main conversation. Although I do like everything we've talked about so far leading up to it. And it's important to understand how you got here to yeah. what's going on now. Um, you use the phrasing when you were in isolation, but you're still in isolation as we're, yes. as we're talking today, this is not the fun thousand and one Arabian nights. It's the thousand and one days of isolation. Yes. Yesterday was officially a thousand days. And, um, I do, I do kind of not consider them separate, but isolating well houseless was different at the time than isolating here. So I, I apologize for that wording though. Cause that's my bad. I, it's the eras of my life, but it is all isolated. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so why I thought this, this particular talk, I've heard, I've, you know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, a lot of different TikToks, and there's a lot of different conversations about many different aspects of this pandemic that PS is still happening. Mm-hmm. And with, you coming to a thousand days of isolation and me getting to know you and know you as a person and your struggles. And thank goodness for creators like you on TikTok introducing me to even more. You know, I, I, I feel like I was knowledgeable about things, but as you expand your world and you hear different viewpoints, even more so, and especially on TikTok, um, I want to give it credit for that. You know, that's, that's how I'm hearing voices that I wouldn't normally hear. And so when we're talking about, staying in isolation, not necessarily because of COVID, but because of being immunocompromised or being mm-hmm. disabled in some way or whatever other reason that people have. I really felt like that conversation was important to have in the realm of conversation of pandemics, that specifically yeah. the experience of isolation, what that means, um, what what's the you know result of that and how that affects you. And also as we're moving through the world and moving through time, how, how's that going to look? So maybe you mm-hmm. could talk a little bit about as you just went through 1000 days, how, how did day 1000 feel? <laughs> and uh, maybe say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So something I always say when it comes up, um, cause I try not to like, I could, if I wanted to, or if I let my brain 
follow all impulses i could every single day bitch about the way the fact that you never get used to isolation it's never something that you're like it's like oh well this is just the way it is now it never feels normal um and 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 i want to also just for for people to understand that haven't been following you on tiktok what mm -hmm. specifically does isolation mean for you because i think people might have a misunderstanding of that that's a good call so basically um because the nature of my heart failure means that the blood oxygen in that I have is already low. Like I'll hit eighties when I'm sleeping. Um, the reality of COVID is that it would likely basically snuff me very quickly. So I have to like, I, I have yet to catch COVID and the way that we have avoided that is basically, I don't have contact with people. Um, I do live with a partner who, you know, goes to work every day. We have a certain, set of uh things that we do with hand washing sanitization he's masks everywhere um to limit exposure um but i don't see anyone in person um in the summer times it's just basically being indoors virtually all the time due to the smoke and everything else unless i'm going to my doctor's office or some other very necessary thing but I don't go to events. I don't go to restaurants. Um, I've only very recently started doing like ride-alongs in the car, like somebody's dog kind of, but that's more so because in the time that I have had to stay indoors all the time and like away from people, I've developed agoraphobia along with everything else. So I just am limited to my dwelling, um, Technically, I guess I could go walking around my neighborhood. I can't drive due to the danger of me possibly losing consciousness while driving. And even if it's a low probability thing, I won't drive and put somebody at risk potentially for that. So I can't drive myself anywhere. I can't um, really leave my house. Uh, And in the area that I live in particular, people are uh, generally leaning towards not masking and feeling like that is not something that they have any responsibility to do. So I don't go anywhere locally. Um, and due to the nature of my disability, I can't really walk to like where there's parks and things nearby trying to change that, but that's for later. Um, so basically isolation has been me doing my best not to lose my mind. while literally never leaving where I live other than, like I said, for a doctor's appointment or trying to think of anything else I had to leave for. Oh, vaccinations at the pharmacy locally. Um, But, and then especially, I think there's, I think it was December of 2021 that I went to a family Christmas gathering by standing out in the front yard and waving at everyone. I did that Mm -hmm. once. Um, and then once in the fifth wheel, my cousins all came and we had a picnic outside because it happened to be sunny and the air pollution was low. So I think those are like the two gatherings I could say I did or outings kind of. And then I can, I can do, I can count this on one hand. Shit. I didn't really put this up till now, but I think the other two times I've been out there three times were staying at my mother's cabin, which is in the middle of the woods with just her. And she, you know, masks and gets vaccinated. So um, I dog sat for her one day when she didn't want to leave a dog in in her car and stayed out there and then went out another day to just be in the woods. 
<laughs> and we've seen each other in person. Oh, yes. And you stopped by. But only outside <laughs> and only math. Exactly. Yeah. We haven't like hung out. But yes, you've stopped by too because I I didn't understand at first. And I, I still don't really. But I love building models and you love taking them off my hands because I hate keeping the models that I build. And I was like, this is too good to be true for me. Like at first I was like, you you can't be serious. You'll just, you'll just take the models that I build like you want those. So I was more than happy to do that. And you were kind enough to send kits and everything. And I was just like so flabbergasted, but delighted too, because especially through the period where you started doing that was the time that like I got really obsessed with these things because I could just <laughs> lose myself in making all these tiny details and stuff. The things and sort that of... I don't have the patience for. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fiddly. It's not something I think I could have gotten into unless I needed to intensely focus my attention on something to not pay attention to everything else. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun. And it's also kind of a miniature version of like the blue collar work I used to do. So I felt I was able to outlet some of the like woodworking and things that I really yeah. miss and things like that. So. So your isolation is really, I mean, obviously COVID related, but not completely. It's really no. your specific disease that, really wouldn't withstand a COVID infection or really any other infection probably. Yeah. Like it would be bad. Like even if like if COVID weren't a problem, it would be very dangerous for me to get like the, the bronchitis that I'd had before the pandemic was probably a lot, like I said, a lot closer to dying than I really am comfortable thinking about sometimes. And um, that was the result of years of it getting progressively, basically the heart failure getting worse but my doctor writing it off as me being fat, basically, because I, I mentioned it. Well, that's um, a whole nother episode. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. My chiropractor in 2017, I had a back injury and I remember him commenting on my high heart rate. And because it was high every time I saw him when I would go in and I went to my doctor that year because, you know, I was getting more sick again. It was taking like weeks for me to get better. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't feel good. And he just did, did that thing where he looks at you and looks down, looks up and like, you could lose some weight. Anyway, mm -hmm. we'll get into that another time. But uh, we'll schedule another podcast for that. Yeah, but essentially, like, it was I'm to the point now where I've used up basically any uh, threshold my body has to get ill. Um, I mean, I'd like to think I wouldn't die. You know, I'd like to think that, you know, in the for the rest of my lifetime, Hopefully I, I have the ability to get sick, especially now that I'm taking care of everything, but it's just something to avoid as much as possible because it is a scenario that I'm not going to do well in no matter what. Yeah. And unfortunately um, things like the flu and the cold even have been viewed forever as like not that big of a deal because to most able-bodied people, it's not. Um, I used to be somebody who was like, ah, it's just a cold, you know, let me chug some NyQuil and I'll be fine, <laughs> which is not necessarily the greatest, but it is typical of somebody in their 20s. So uh, I don't even think it's people in their 20s. I mean, I have this down on my list to talk about later, but I think this is a good time to kind of bring that in is before the pandemic. And I've been thinking about this a lot recently. All the things that we used to do that never even gave a second thought about germs aside from actual colds you know an actual mm -hmm. illness um going bowling eating at a buffet 
oh god what was it i saw the other day public drinking fountains seeing uh-huh. those now is always kind of not triggering but like every time i see when i like internally cringe and in like you know pre-covid media and stuff because you see these people like going up and like drinking out of it and then the next person's right there and it's just like stop stop <laughs> that's gross but yeah you know, we didn't think anything of it mm-hmm. i uh, or you think about like oh i don't know like like people in line now I, I i can't say like how much this has improved at all i've heard others say that it has now like it's it's socially acceptable to be like no stay away from me but you know like being in line with someone getting your heels clipped by someone's cart and stuff like that even we just mm-hmm. aren't we're used to being on top of each other <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think i think that's part of the issue right and that's why i want to bring this to light so much is this the isolation i think a lot of what you hear in the media and both social media and written and whatever when they're talking about isolation they're talking about covid specifically number mm-hmm. 1 and they're talking about it in reference to you know capitalism or anxiety or other things that aren't the tangible things that you're talking about which is i could die still yeah and I want people to understand that when they're hearing someone say they're in isolation, when they're seeing it, when they're seeing people still in a mask, that, you know, I mean, I guess, how how do we balance that, right? That's one of the things I wanted to talk about is, I guess, presumably, we can't be in a quote-unquote pandemic forever. There's numbers of how we describe what a pandemic is. We're coming up on this pandemic health emergency ending in May, which it has some other, you know, legal and medical consequences, which is mm-hmm. a little scary for people because a lot of people are going to lose their insurance. Yeah. Luckily, that's the- Washington state is not, does not have the same Medicaid situation that some other states do, but some people that got insurance through that are going to lose their insurance. Um, and so there's a lot of other consequences that don't have to do with just masking and vaccinations, but I think people, now that they feel like the crest, the the hospital's overflowing, is kind of over, and that most people either have had it, have had it multiple times, or have been vaccinated, that that it's not a big deal because they're able-bodied, right? Yeah. I mean, I think um, I had a particularly bad moment when someone did a TikTok showing the bivalent booster rates for each state like it was like the top 10 or top five or something and i lost my shit when i saw it because the top state wasn't even to 30 percent. i think right at the time this could be different now but i highly doubt it that it's, it's much different. pretty low yeah it's not even halfway in even the best states so you can see that like that that attitude that people take where it's like it's just like a cold it's just like the flu they're living that reality and they're treating it like that when it's not. And so that's something that's really scary. And yeah, like you say, like it's, it's hard to overstate to people like how terrifying it is to have something that people are just kind of shrugging off. And it's like, I have been told with no uncertain terms that it will almost definitely kill me. And that's important (laughs) to me. That's my entire life having to turn into this game of not game. It's not a game. It is this system of, adjustments i'm having to make as we kind of figure out stuff um because like in the especially early on like i just was waiting for it to be over um the pandemic and everything else especially i something that 
is um, hard to think about is like when they announced they were working on vaccines and stuff. And I was so excited. I was really, um, cause I started first hearing about it, but around the end of staying in the fifth wheel, we're still houseless. And like, I was just so relieved. I was like, finally, I can see people. I've been through probably the worst event of my life. Um, series of events, I guess. And, um, I was just longing <laughs> to see people already just a few months in and, I can't, I don't really have good words to describe just sort of this like, dis, it was like sort of a like disbelief at first, a bafflement. And then it turned into kind of like this, like, you have to be fucking kidding me, right? As people are like refusing to get vaccinated. And then there was just an actual thing behind it and politicians calling out against it while they had it themselves that was mm -hmm. like I, that particular part was where i started to just feel that dissonance really hard um mm -hmm. and it just kind of got worse from there as people steadfastly believed and kept bringing up vares and kept bringing up just my brother's mother's cousin uncles you know died of a heart thing or like you know the people who had um generally what are uh, from the consensus that i've heard from my friends who are more versed in this is that things that probably correlated but were not causated <laughs> causated by weren't related yeah. to each other <laughs> correlation does not equal causation there we go thank you <laughs> yeah and yeah it's so like um I guess one way that like the to, to the gravity of like how scary it is this stuff is to me um was what I had to do with a family member when I was trying to tell them why I was getting vaccinated they were very close to like almost physically preventing me from getting vaccinated because they were very concerned yeah. about it despite all my doctors telling me vehemently to get vaccinated as soon as I could and that took some time because of the age stuff but um uh, I had to graphically describe to him what it felt like as I lost my ability to breathe in the very beginning, you know, and how scary that was. And every description I see of people and how they die from COVID follows that. I know exactly what it feels like as you keep gasping for air to um, try and move and you just can't, you're not actually getting a breath, no matter how much you're doing the action that's supposed to relieve that sensation of I need to breathe mm -hmm. it happen and it's so scary and um you know like especially when they were still talking about like what COVID is like and trying to show what this disease does to you as you expire from it and I don't think that those will ever leave me because it is mortally terrifying and it is uh I it <laughs> it's hard to overstate just the nightmarish experience it is to not be able to breathe even though you are breathing it's just I, I don't know <laughs> how else to put that no I, I think you said it really well and that's assuming <clears throat> that you die from COVID not that that's the the best option but I know plenty of people that have long COVID and yes somehow we forget about too. that but but living with long COVID I'm not going to say it's uh, worse than dying, but it's pretty bad. It's, it's you know, it's serious. 
it is and it's it, there's no treatment for it like i'm with pulmonary hypertension um it's a very complicated disease and it is very much like kind of patient specific as far as like what's going on with it but um i am very lucky I don't, that's a weird way to put it. The, the, one of the medications that I'm on right now used to only be available through IV and only in 2018 was made available in oral form. Wow. Um, and it, that's very recent. So um, I can't imagine what it would have been like not having treatments like the ones I have access to now, which I'm so grateful for. But, you know, something like long COVID where we don't even know what like the 10 year projection looks like for people with long COVID and it's presenting in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when healthy, able-bodied people who just got what, you know, the air quotes, mild infection, we're seeing the increase in heart attacks in brain damage in um, like, I think ch- the children especially are seeing a lot more chronic diseases. I think things like diabetes and, you know, lung problems, like I, the, I had ground glass opacities before they were cool, but you know we're seeing damage to people's organs and there's evidence of it just like, I think this is true, but don't quote me on this, but like viruses in general, hang out in your body and use your cells to, you know, just, and so the and brain fog and confusion and fatigue, you know, and yeah, fatigue. increase of Alzheimer's, you know, of instances like that. We, we just, there's so much we don't know. And there's so much that does not look good. Mm-hmm. And so that I can't imagine dealing with that. And especially if you have symptoms, the, the endless fatigue that mm-hmm. just never, my partner who's had COVID twice still, he tells me, he's like, I, I can't get back to a hundred percent. And, you know, every time I tell him, I'm like, you should talk to your doctor about that, you know? <laughs> But luckily he has positive tests on file and stuff. But I would say if people are feeling like, you know, even just generally gross after having COVID, like make sure you have a positive test somewhere in your medical file, because they're going to do their best to say that that's not the problem. Yeah. 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 Uh, That brings, you know, that kind of brings me around back to, able-bodied versus not able-bodied in that whole situation. So I think not only with youth, you don't think about what that's like or what kind of things you need access to. People born with disabilities or that get disabilities at an early age, you know, that that I think TikTok has really enlightened a lot of people or people that are willing to listen anyway yeah. <laughs> about what that community has suffered for ever. <laughs> I mean, exactly. not to There's say anything a- specifically about eugenics, but just in general, like the, the COVID response and, and how a other normal able-bodied people are now disabled because of COVID, because of long COVID, et cetera. And it shouldn't take that to no things. There was um something I saw recently talking about how you know, with the end of the emergency stuff and everything, they're doing their best to be like, it's not a problem. It's not there. And it reminded me of um, Reagan and how he handled AIDS, just pretending it wasn't. In that case, there's 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 nuance to this. I'm not trying to make a direct comparison, of course, but it's it, in the same way that like, if we don't pay attention to it, it'll go away. And mm-hmm. people expecting 
aren't ones that we have to worry about essentially. So in this case, in our case with COVID, it's like the disabled, the, um, you know, uh, black indigenous and other people of color have felt the, you know, effects of COVID and the pandemic horrendously. Mm-hmm. Just um, like a lot of, interestingly, something I find, or something I find interesting um, is that most reservations still require masking in public spaces um, and do a lot to mitigate the pandemic still as it's happening. And I'm like, every, I love seeing it. And I love, I, I probably get a lot of this content because I'm interested in that kind of thing, but it just always warms my heart to see like communities like that do that kind of thing. Even if I am not lucky or not, I don't know about lucky, but even if I can't be, I'm glad to see those safe spaces being made for people. So it's, you know, keeps a slight shred of my faith in humanity intact. (laughs) It's it's interesting because I, I limited my news intake some years ago before the pandemic actually was political. Um, And just for my own mental health, just pared down a lot of what I was watching um, for many reasons. But as I've stabilized and feel like I can handle it, I'm I'm starting to expand a little bit. And um, on the comedic side, it's interesting to watch the juxtaposition of like Late Night with Seth Meyers, who I love. Um, and was in isolation himself in an attic for a long time, if anybody watches that show, <laughs> um, who has come back to the studio. And though they take tons of precautions and tests and et cetera, et cetera, their whole audience is not masked. It looks like they give the option if you want to wear a mask, but um, and they wouldn't say anything if you did. But the majority, if not all, are not. Whereas now I see I started watching The Daily Show again. Caveat, love Trevor Noah, but it was back to the politics i really i was not in a place to handle it (laughs) until about the time he was leaving and now i've been watching these guest hosts and their entire audience is masked it is requirement and it's really interesting to see the the two very different approaches to even late night exactly well there's um one of the people i follow who's active with COVID stuff in particular um and like they're they're an able-bodied person but they um are big on just like why don't you care about community and the people you know everyone anyway they she was talking about how not she's like not to put my tinfoil hat on but as with the state of the union particularly it seems like there is a coordinated effort to put on the impression that no masks are needed mm-hmm. and um possibly she's like possibly i don't think it's out of the realm to say that they probably told not to wear masks i mean bernie of course is the exception there but he is the only exception and that wouldn't surprise me for him to like kind of not care about being told not to mask mm-hmm. i the more how do i put this considering the very measured and calculated way that the Biden administration is doing things. I don't think that they're too stupid to like know that like, oh, you should wear masks because it's safe. I do think that they are very aware of what it does showing that, you know, nobody's masking that Biden never thinks about the pandemic, et cetera, and so on. I I don't think that's on accident Mm -hmm. either. Um, I don't know, like, I'm not gonna 
uh like try to i i'm not somebody who deals in um conspiracy theories or anything you you know for reasons why actually it is a huge thorn in my side but um i do think that you know in the end the united states government is a corporate uh and or corporately run and corporately interested entity and has kind of been made that way that's the funny part about jabs about socialism yeah we have socialist programs but we are a thousand percent capitalists in this country it is it's the 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 edge of the crash course of education i've had in like what capitalism actually is as a system and not just being in like high school social studies or something mm-hmm. you know where you or learn economics like, yeah exactly and um just how much that power structure of capitalism really builds the motivations for how things work it, a lot of things actually 100 percent make sense once you look at it through the lens of like what is the goals of capitalism and how that works and where it goes where it leads yeah. So I've been listening to this one podcast that I listened to that has been doing their own personal review of, of the pandemic, like literally day by day, week by week, especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's been multiple hours even to get to the first couple of months of the pandemic. But one of the things that they talked about was how could we have done things differently? Is it even possible to have done a shutdown because it would have required like someone was saying, well, I could have done this. And the person was, you know, kind of playing devil's advocate, which I thought was fair, which is like when, even when we had the shutdown, mm-hmm. we had emergency personnel or essential jobs that still went to work. I w- I am in such a role in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And luckily for our company, we had all the PPE we needed. I mean, thank God. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, there's there's always exception, exception, exception. We're so large and we have so many systems in place that don't really allow us to be self-sufficient. We have to have 20 different types of jobs that are essential that are not even including healthcare, police, fire, like mm-hmm. just every day. Yeah, You have to have food supply. You have to have processing. I mean, literally almost every job is essential, honestly, if you think about the way that we're set up in our society. And so mm-hmm. I don't know that it was even ever realistic because of not being prepared. Yeah. We've never been prepared for something like that. We would have had to be have everybody have a little touch of prepper. You know what I mean? Like, we, yeah. we live in the North Pacific Northwest and we're not ready for a fucking earthquake. For three days. It's, it's, and like, or the, you know, there's most people don't know about the Lahar maps and stuff, which is a, you know, uniquely uh, glacier covered volcano problem. So Mm -hmm. these basic (laughs) Yeah, right. I know. I'm not going to talk about Yellowstone. (laughs) I know. We're not going to touch. We got so many geologists just deep sigh every time they hear Yellowstone, I think, or volcanologists. We're we're not ready even for a couple of days for a natural disaster anywhere. Or country. even like the um the terrorist attacks on the power grid and stuff. They've been talking about like if we're out of power for days, yeah, it, it's gonna yeah. And if you want to something that I do in my when I think to once in a while, it's been a, actually it's been a quite a bit. I'm about due is to watch 
Vox's explained um, episode on pandemics before the pandemic happened. It was so close. It was like the winter of 2019, I think, when that episode came out. And they were talking about how just staggeringly unprepared we were for something like that to happen. And then look, we were staggeringly unprepared for what happens. Yeah, we really... um, really were and we still are frankly even after three years of this oh yeah it's so politically unpopular to deal with the pandemic in any way that any precaution taken i think politically is just dicey for people because you're automatically gonna have people who just by you know because they feel like whatever their identity is whatever they call it that it's a like conspiracy to infringe on your freedoms or whatever the line is now i haven't kept up with QAnon in a while but do you think it was that way before like let, let's just say this happened you know coronavirus has been around for a long time i remember them okay. talking about it on law and order in the 90s right <clears throat> do you think if before the world of i mean i can't blame everything on trump but it definitely got exacerbated then do you think before that so let's just say the 90s do you think it would have been still an issue to talk about preparedness in the same way so i realize you're younger than me so (laughs) i was gonna say i was born in 1990 so my experience in the 90s is fuzzy i'm sorry (laughs) um, and like so i graduated high school in 2009 so that's kind of like the period of my childhood or whatever so it's like through the 90s to the aughts to the you know late teens or not even to the teens, to the aughts. Um, but so my experience with like of that period is just that I think pre-9-11, I think people would have had a better response as far as caring for community. I do think that that's... Um, I wonder if people might have had a better response post-9-11, pre yeah that maybe that 2010 2010s um that's true like after 9 11 there was a lot of community and realized you were pretty still medium young then but there was a lot of community coming together i mean this is when rudy giuliano was giuliani was america's mayor yeah i remember that like he he was it's crazy to think about now it's so insane to think of now but Um, it really did bring it it brought some people together it really messed up ethnic minorities yeah but i mean there was some bad things that came out of that too but as a whole it felt like it was unifying and i wonder if that would have been a better time too i was hoping the pandemic would do that but clearly it did not it made it even worse right i hate i it drives me up the wall when people are like people really cared in the first two weeks it's like no they didn't i was there mm-hmm. you know and that's but even before that was before I got sick even in the first two weeks of shutdown though people were dying that like not literally but well they were no literally but, too but yeah exactly but the but in in the way of like just like trying to survive at home for a couple weeks and you know try and limit and stuff and just people weren't coming together we were like you know trauma bonding together I'll give us that <laughs> yeah but we weren't coming together um like i think i think a lot of like the hold on i think some people like it was probably the first time they had time off work and had unemployment like in washington i think we were particularly better like i don't i i 
I got money in a reasonable amount of time anyway, I should say. But I know I was hearing stories of people in California not getting money for weeks when they needed unemployment and stuff. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, we all got, you know, it was just a, like a break. It wasn't for everybody. Absolutely not. Or not even the majority of people. But here anyway, I think it was the first time a lot of people just had time to think, mm-hmm. you know, and not have, at least for me, it was like the first time I wasn't at work and wasn't on vacation, one or the other. And that's kind of the only two modes I'd ever known how to exist in <laughs> my mm-hmm. whole life. Um, so I think it was a moment of reflection and also like people people finding ways to entertain themselves the baking and the stuff like there was some wholesome things the to that yes yes and um but then you also have things like the celebrities doing the like with the lip sync or the singing of uh what was the song um uh john or the the piece the beatles song oh imagine there we go right. that's what it took me like five different keywords to get to but yeah when everyone <laughs> did the imagine. <laughs> oh gosh i just i remember it, that was that didn't even have a moment of grace that was immediately everyone was like what are you doing and just i think that was also a shock too of people seeing just how different celebrity life was because everybody was posting online and you're seeing these people like ah it's so hard to stay in my home as they're in Beverly Hills or wherever. Yeah. Aren't I so relatable as I am with you in the poor, you know, <laughs> we're all stuck at home and isn't it terrible? Yes, it is. It, it must be so terrible being locked in your 12 bedroom home. <laughs> well, I do think it's interesting. And I really do think it had something to do with the, the increase in, we can't find people to take these jobs scenario. Because yeah, people too. didn't have the opportunity that they were forced into to realize they could survive with some restrictions or limitations doing not the job that they hate every single day. Yeah. And um, like you already had millennials who'd been dealing with avocado toast for, and when I say that, I guess I should say, when I say I know what toast, you mean, but explain what you mean. Yeah, when I say avocado toast, avocado, it's like shorthand for the whole, or I use it as shorthand for the whole people saying that because we liked things like avocado toast. And there, I will say there was a big, like, not movement, but like attitude of like, spend money on experiences and not things. And that was in full swing before the pandemic. Like, it was just like, you know, live mm-hmm. your life. Very aspirational, very, you know, Instagram aesthetic of yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Um, and particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, I'm sure you're aware we have a particular flavor of aspirational Instagram aesthetic that is, un- it's it's insufferable, but it's really attractive and it's really pretty because it's just pretty to take pictures here. So, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I I tell you what, also, I'm not avocado somebody- toast is good. It is. It's avocado toast is delicious, and it's it's before people really, I think, had a collective understanding that you can't budget your way out of poverty. There's this like because I come from the kind of like middle class family that believes like, well, poor people are poor because they're irresponsible, and that is such a farce and such a lie when you actually live it. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know all the you know financial literacy books, rich dad poor dad, um, all these other things will tell you that it's because you get coffee every day or you you know splurge <laughs> on these little things to make life a little more pleasant and not austere. 
that, that that's why you're poor. And it's a very lucrative way to convince people that it's their own fault. Again, cap that works for capitalism very well. <laughs> we very come much. Back to that. <laughs> bootstrap mentality. Mm -hmm. If you just tell them that it's their fault, that they're feeling bad, they'll just believe you. That is when I think a good thing that came out of the pandemic was that people in general, it feels like, and maybe not in some parts of the world, but certainly around the circles that I'm aware of, when people come to work sick before, it was like, yeah, get your ass to work. What are you doing taking a day right. off? You're be dying. And now it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did I just hear you sniff? Go home. Oh, All man. Right, that's, that's good. That's a good outcome. Right. We're, I, I, I don't know if this is limited to like, you know, blue collar dude work or whatever. My partner, um, the latest time that he got COVID was because a coworker had COVID and didn't tell anybody. Oh. Um, and I think it's like the way that it seems like it went is the guy suspected he had COVID and then confirmed it after being symptomatic and going to work. Uh, yeah. Cause he yeah. is a gem of a person. Um, and what happens when my partner has caught COVID and what has worked as far as keeping me from catching it, it means is that I get locked in a room that has an attached bathroom and I stay there yeah, the entire time. And I get fed, you know, but get food put in the door. And then I have a 3M half-faced respirator, which for those who don't know is like a apparatus when you're doing like sanding or dust collecting industrially and it has clip-on filters and stuff. And that's what I would use every time I exited the bedroom to like, if I had to like say, go grab something out of the fridge. Cause even if he wasn't home, because COVID can linger in the air and stuff. And just, we aren't playing. We're not going to pretend that like, there's no chance of it. So we were very careful. But anyway, so I am particularly unfriendly towards the idea of people being sick and not telling anyone. I, yeah, <laughs> because it causes close calls like that for me personally. And I'm sure there's all sorts of ways that other people with my kind of condition are immunocompromised. You know, we you have to be so vigilant about the people around you because if it's not a big deal to them, it can uh, put you in danger in ways that you don't realize and they don't know and or don't care about. Depends on the people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm just thinking about, I don't want to sound on this podcast, like so sanctimonious, like I'm perfect and do everything right. I, I certainly do still to this day, um, mask when I'm going grocery shopping or going into, uh, you know, any kind of place that's going to have a lot of people. But I, I do, you know, admit that I go into like if I'm going to pop into an unpopulated gas station for something real quick, I go well, in there and and I've spent time with people that I work with that I know are vaccinated that, you know, in a small group, usually pretty well ventilated, <laughs> um, that I'm that I'm not wearing a mask. And I did one time went to an event that was a large gathering. And all I could think about the whole time is so fucking help me if we get COVID. I'm going to be so mad because I have not gotten it either. Knock on wood. Right. And I don't yeah. want it. I don't want COVID. I don't want long COVID. I don't want to give it to someone else. I don't want to give it to my patients. I'm very vigilant about it for the most part. And I still mess up. <clears throat> And so I want to make sure I'm also giving grace to people that are actually trying and giving a shit. Yeah. About, well, and about it's it. the, the power of peer, peer pressure is so powerful and the way we're conditioned, like when people are kind of just even dismissive of us at any point, like, or at least for me, I'm someone who's very socially anxious and everything else. So like, I absolutely care about if somebody is going to give me a side eye in public because I don't, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> 
And so, and even I, like, you know, for all the talk, I, on a doctor's uh, visit, my mother and I had to kill time between appointments um, because I had to drive out of town to go see my specialists. And um, she took me to a bar when we were, I took my mask off and ate, like we were masked getting seated and stuff, but you know, something that I thought I'd never do. And I don't think I would, I think I would have put up some resistance if there was anybody else there, but thankfully we were there at like, I think 1130 in the morning. So we just, you know, had lunch and were able to get out of there, but I I, I absolutely understand what can feel like futility in the face of, um, everything and i've had to come around to being a little bit less combative about how i talk about it because with what's happened to me it's understandable about how hardline i've been and how much i harp on it because you know life-threatening things do that does that to you but i i mean i myself am always really nostalgic about like wasn't it so fucking nice when we had less to worry about (laughs) like all the problems I thought I had that I was juggling and dealing with compared to now it's just it I think it ages everybody like five years or 10 years or something and um when you're by yourself because of how masks are most effective if everybody uses them it can feel like it doesn't do anything um when you're the only one like when my partner wears his mask into the grocery store or something and somebody helped me out a lot because i just used to be like well you should just do it from principle you know but the reality is too is that it's not futile it really does make a difference even if you are one person like the ideal would be most people but i appreciate people who mask still in public and stuff a because it like signals to me that they're safe it's kind of turned into a litmus test of like if i see someone masking i know at least there's some basic facts we can agree on about reality that's nice yeah um but also uh it it does save lives even if you're one person doing it if you're prevent either preventing you from spreading it or even just preventing you from catching it um it's not I don't I don't understand people who flex about not caring about it. I think that's there's a disconnect for me there where I'm just, I just don't get it. Like yeah. it's like I don't care about getting sick. It's like uh that sucks, but okay. <laughs> like I mean I life. would love to see it normalized and I don't know that I mean America is ever going to get to that place, but I think I one of the biggest hope, I would hope someday we would look at china and japan and realize maybe they have that part right of when you're sick if you have to go out in public you wear a mask like it's normal yeah you know like who gives a shit wear it or you know don't you're putting your own self at risk but you're also putting your community at risk and that's important yeah and i I will say uh, my experiences going out which are very few and far between as we've established but no one's ever said anything to me um my partner has had somebody once um like you know say something in the grocery store it was something like some jeer you know Mm. and thankfully well i don't know about thankfully my partner looks scary he has chest tattoos and just looks like somebody who's angry he has resting angry face so like you know he looks at somebody sideways and they'll usually be quiet but you know for him he's just he just goes well you know my partner 
is will die like and usually people will stop at that point because it's it's one thing to have an anonymous comment on the internet saying that i should die which i have been told several times um that's so upsetting yeah it's i was about to say you get used to it you don't really but you get used to dealing with it i should like or you know learning how to go through and protect yourself but um yeah we'll save that for the tiktok episode because yeah that's a whole thing (laughs) yeah but um i've never had anybody like come bother me or like when my cousin came yesterday to kind of help me out with day 1000 and like sort of make it something to look forward to um she and i just wore masks the entire time with each other even though we went to a park and we're outside you know and like distance from each other she's vaccinated she distances you know in her own life she's got a girlfriend with pots and stuff so Mm -hmm. um just but it's like you know nobody said anything and if anybody was looking at us funny we didn't notice anyway so i think that there is a level of like hostility that i get braced for that may not necessarily be the reality out in public sometimes too or at Um, least in this area yeah exactly and my partner does tell me because on the car ride my ride-alongs it always feels so weird um but i've gotten really disappointed seeing like nobody masking going into stores And he's like well a lot of people do put on their masks as they go into the store they don't necessarily put it on in the car and that helped me out a little bit as far as just kind of like okay well maybe you know not all of these people are terrifying to me (laughs) so um, i mean i think that's probably true i usually go to the store so early in the morning that i don't hardly see anybody and i'm wearing a mask <laughs> that is the way to do it even before <laughs> the pandemic i loved going to walmart at like 3 a.m just nobody there other than like the floor polishers and stuff yeah yeah for sure oh, oh and it's a lot it's i mean what i guess that's the the next question right what what is the new normal? How do we? How short term? Where do we go? And long term? Where do we go? So, like, basically, like the way the way I personally feel about it, anyway, is that there's no reason not to mask in public places. Like, accessibility for disabled people has never been great in the U.S. People often will think of accessibility and only think wheelchairs, mm-hmm. not everybody else who is also yes. disabled. Um, and when it comes to like thinking of immunocompromised people and stuff or people with chronic conditions, there's the combination of, I think when people hear health conditions, they assume it's like, I don't know, like it's, it's mixed in with the fat phobia of like, oh, it's people who brought it upon themselves and stuff. They don't don't even think of themselves. They'll have asthma or something, but they don't consider themselves, you know, with a health condition or thing like Americans are weird like that you know I think left over mm-hmm. from the pre-existing conditions for insurance and all other things there's a lot of um fuzziness I think when it comes to people's understanding of accessibility and disability and also um it just everybody needs to get food and everybody needs to you know go to the post office everybody needs to go to these basic places i don't see why it isn't a good idea to just prevent disease spread much like washing hands is seen Mm -hmm. like i mean not that we were great about washing hands to begin with but it wasn't you know seen as infringing on your friends (laughs) well let me ask you this because i this these are some of the things i've been thinking about talking to you about 
Mm-hmm. And in in a, I guess, kind of devil's advocate way, for there, there is something to be said for social psychology about seeing people's faces and connection and things like that in in person. So is there some balance we could ever get to where, you know, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, but like, you know, how you have like right. senior days where seniors go, is there some way that we could have accessibility for people that have immunocompromised situations where not everyone is wearing a mask? Is that even right. a possibility? I mean, it's going to be a possibility, but is it realistic, I guess? So... My ideal Taking world. aside the capitalism slant, because obviously that's its own thing. Right. Basically, like for me, um, I can say, I can attest to the fact that it's not sustainable to do what I'm doing. Um, regardless if it is sustainable, it's what I have to do. So that's, I, I, I'm not, I'm not here because I want to be. <laughs> what? But um, I, the, I think in the ideal world like what i wish could happen is that people could still wear masks in public places and stuff but because we would be careful about public places and prevention it would make possible the kinds of things like it's it annoys me that people act like it's an all or nothing thing too it's we can have like say i wish we could have like masking in public places but when you're outdoors or even just like creating separation and stuff like that's when you can kind of establish it to be safer and everything. Like I, I'm, it's hard for me to like picture it because I'm dealing with my brain being kind of hardwired into survival mode for the pandemic. So it's really difficult for me to like, be like, well, yeah, there'd be a time we could take off masks. It just, the, the idea terrifies me so much that it's kind of hard, but. I'm just thinking like, for I totally understand people's arguments when they talk about restaurants, I'm just thinking specifically about restaurants, right? Yeah. You're and, going uh, in, you're going to take your mask off. You're in an enclosed space. Why? I'm not saying me, but why do I have to wear a mask in if I'm going to immediately be taking it off at the table? And right. I wonder for people that had immunocompromised situations before the pandemic, mm-hmm. I wonder, and I don't expect you to have this answer, just kind of pondering out loud with me here. Um, yeah what that situation was because that was never a question people were not wearing masks ever (laughs) oh yeah absolutely not um there is like the like i i I get irritated when people are like well outdoor you know isn't realistic it's not realistic you know year-round for places that are more seasonal and stuff or even places that are tropical you get hurricanes you get you know everything else i say tropical i meant florida um but places that are warmer (laughs) like arizona you know you'll have stuff happen i'm sure there's natural things that people from arizona can attest to whatever happens in arizona that means you can't eat outside but i digress Um, (laughs) yeah actually yeah i don't (laughs) albuquerque shouldn't be in Albuquerque anyway um but uh the other thing is like because the focus is so much on like what we can do to mitigate it it's it's hard to to remember that like the government is absolutely capable of like providing the means to increase ventilation and air filtration which are things like um back when i was getting advice from somebody 
who talked a lot about COVID and what we could do to like, you know, prevent spread. The ventilation was a big factor and it's a big factor. Like, you know, when we talk about outdoor eating or being outdoors, ventilation is key. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know that this is realistic in today's America because it they would just be put on the businesses and stuff, but there are absolutely ways that system- systematically we could make things more accessible and in the ideal world have it funded by like the federal government or something it's just something like i without major changes i don't see a way that it's going to happen now just from the way events have played out so it's i'm getting lost here i'm losing my no (laughs) no, no. i i think you're i i love the ventilation um example because i i had it in my notes the all of this is circling around whether it's physical uh disability or whether it's health disability or whatever the rising tide lifts all boats analogy works accessibility for some is accessibility for all and i've been Mm -hmm. thinking about this a lot too again it shouldn't take this to make you think about it but i pulled a hamstring some months ago and (laughs) And also I have arthritis in my knees. I don't get around the best. And thank God I only have a few steps in my house. And then I'll have older patients that are that just recently bought a house with a full set of stairs. And I'm like, what? Okay, well, if if setting aside the whole there's not enough space to have everybody have a one floor house or whatever, having accessible things for aging in place, for injuries for health compromises. I mean, I remember having that, an argument with someone probably 10 years ago now about a city in this area that was going to be doing a project where they were putting in um, the little slopes and the sidewalks for crosswalks for accessibility. Mm-hmm. And why do we need to spend all this money, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's it's not new. This conversation is not no. new. And also... There's- it shouldn't be new because we should have been talking about this whole time. If it's accessible for some, it's accessible for all. I don't understand why this is a hard concept. No, it's it really isn't. Um, one of my favorite people who talks about this, Stina Lane. I'm sure you've you've uh, seen her. Um, she's the. What, what is it again? What's her What's her handle? Stina Stina Lane hmm. is her full username. Uh, she's got long brown, or they have long brown hair. Sorry, that was my mistake. Stina is uh she's S T Y N A. Okay. In case people want to find her. They yes. them. Absolutely wonderful human and does a lot of disability advocacy. Um they recently came out as non-binary. I keep slipping on my pronouns here and I apologize. Um it's and they, all about trying. Exactly. As someone who's non-binary myself, like it's one of those like I had just it's you keep trying you try harder every time you mess up and that's you know the I, I want to say do not grovel about making mistakes to anybody who worries about that kind of stuff please don't go into the i'm so sorry what can i do to make it up that is always super awkward just say sorry change yeah. it move on that is perfect that is fine remember to change it is a great start <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It's it's the A for effort, right? Um, but uh, Stina does a lot of advocacy and talks a lot about accessibility stuff in that, like, 
like what you're saying if we make it accessible for some we make it accessible for everybody and um one of the things that's kind of a recurring joke on their page is shiny desks because there was particularly something that came up where a teacher wanted to put the, the you know like reflective sticky paper that was like copper or rose gold something trendy uh colored on their desks and it's cute it looks good for a picture but for kids with disabilities or especially like ADHD or autism or sensory problems reflective desks is a problem mm. and that turned into such a shit show fight of people going well you know they the, the why does everything have to be drab and awful like just totally taking it beyond anything Stina was talking about but yeah, also like argument right it just and like this this thing about like how we you know this lifeless classroom that everyone has to use it's, it's like can we can we talk about the children that this is a disadvantage to and actually actively harms their ability to learn like that's important right like that's the point of school <laughs> perhaps like not having shiny desks doesn't hurt anybody and allows everybody to be there like that's all objectively good right but you know the conversation just moved into the tiktok comment sections ways that they do and you know that's all social media to be fair mm-hmm. you don't want to just blame tiktok for that <laughs> no I, I think tiktok has some particularly spectacular audacity and comments and stuff but also fair. to be fair i have not been on facebook since 2016 so I'm I I see screenshots and I hear things and I once in a while I'll dip my toes into next door if I'm feeling like do I need to be reminded about how terrible the people I live around are <laughs> and um but yeah I stay away from that so but um I think like Imani uh crutches and spice Imani who is probably the best disability advocate I know and is amazing she's a communications major and she always puts it very well with the like um listening to disabled people is just essentially what never happened like able-bodied people are almost always the ones making decisions about accessibility and um something that was really interesting that she talked about and it's worth looking up if people are interested is the history of like how the ada started and stuff which was veterans um i think going to congress uh-huh. or the building in dc and like crawling out of their wheelchairs and into these buildings to show like hey none of us can get in here <laughs> like and other things too and also because it was uh wheelchair bound veterans is why like all the uh measurements and stuff are made for you know men but that's a whole other conversation but <laughs> basically though like it people had to fight and fight hard to get accessibility even into like legal grounds of any kind because i mean before that you have the ugly laws you have all these other ways that disabled people were actively shut out of society because they're inconvenient to able-bodied people's comfort and um <laughs> just you know the fact that they exist it's like oh ew no and I think that that attitude was not only accepted, but kind of like the norm for a long time. And um, and like the attitude of like, I think you uh, I you saw where I talked about how when I was a kid, my family members, when they would talk about what would happen to them if they were infirmed or injured and they would outright be like, well, take me out. I don't want to, you know, live like that. That's not a life worth living. 
And then funnily enough, as I became an adult, these people became injured, elderly, disabled. So did they don't they didn't want to commit suicide, funnily enough. Um, and not to say that they were right in the first place, but it's just I think it will be great when someone can figure out how to help people understand the mindset of how accessibility affects every our people's lives without just having to experience it themselves it's like it's the same thing for me too i i had no awareness of it it's not like i was i don't think i ever thought about it because like my job just all centered around me just continuously being fine so <laughs> i just yeah. you know i thought i was gonna do that forever um and then i did i couldn't <laughs> yeah and ever since then it's been a long um lesson in internalized ableism oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes let's have a let's let's meet again and do an episode on internalized blank oh yeah absolutely. internalized all the things <laughs> i'm glad that we planned out like five episodes through the course of oh, this right, because yeah. all of this you could go for hours and hours on yes just, um well, speaking yeah. of hours and hours, I do just have a few more things on this topic, and I know it's already been a very long time. Your phone's probably almost dead by now. Oh no, like we're we're fine there, but I we are <laughs> reaching a point. I feel like where I I where what would you like to or what would you like to end this as far as you know? Yeah, fine no, I I could talk about this at nauseum like most things, but uh, <laughs> I do want to kind of end on the ideas of as we started to talk about and derailed ourselves moving forward, mm -hmm. what are some things that you're, that may be a positive outcome from the pandemic? Like for example, I think it has really increased not only the ableism conversation, um, but awareness more of, and this kind of coincided with the pandemic, not it also had to do with the pandemic, but coincided with the pandemic was more conversation about racism and anti-racism mm -hmm. and uh black brown indigenous and people of colors situations as well um it also had a lot opened up a lot of the conversation around mental health and so i do feel like that one of the positives that's come out of this is better conversations more yeah. open more awareness just in general we all know change is very slow to happen or it comes in a spike and then we step back 10 paces, but it's, it's opening things up. So what are some things maybe globally and also personally, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. That you're looking forward to. So, um, I will maybe say for in 2023 and beyond. Yes. I will say for me personally, um, the pandemic really jump started a lot of self work that I needed to get done. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And mm -hmm. I think that's, ultimately been beneficial that part of it like it helps a lot to kind of be able not to speed run that's not the right way to put it but like to get it in people's heads that these things are not just like you know topics for just selective like um academic spaces and things like that like this is everyday life this is stuff that affects all of us and um we've been kind of forced into these spaces where like you know, in the case of the pandemic, people being legally uh, liable for different things is, is a liability essentially is why anything happened. Um, <laughs> but also, um, <laughs> like I lost my gender. I uh, was able to find out that I am not just like a broken human being. I actually might have, you know, 
uh, mental divergencies <laughs> that uh, explain a lot and were just like a huge source of relief for me as somebody who knew nothing. I just kind of thought that like I was just really bad at being a human. Like that's what I kind mm. of accepted. And finding out otherwise was anger inducing at first but then ultimately a great thing because now i know what i'm dealing with um kind of sort of asterisk mostly um (laughs) and also i i i resist putting any silver lining on isolation but i have to find things to be grateful for just to you know not be a total downward spiral so one great thing has been that my entire life I've put off getting a uh, dog <laughs> because I was working all the time. And now, as you've hinted at, in two weeks, actually from today, I get a puppy. So that's really exciting. And coinciding with the puppy is the realization that I've come to that I have to accept that this is probably going to be a lifetime thing for me. Um, I don't think there's ever going to be a moment in the future, whatever is ideal and where whatever might happen. I'm always going to have to be either really conscientious and really defensive about everything I do and everything I think about, like finding services that are accessible for me. So like we, I just found a dentist now three and a half years in that is safe for me to go to because they will take precautions and wipe things down and wear N95s and like the trouble I've had, you know, you've heard me talk about it on TikTok, like just trying to find a veterinarian that's safe for me to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, and just so my focus from here on out for me personally, anyway, is just going to be f- basically finding out what places are safe, what it is I still need to kind of like fill in the gaps for because it's reached the point of I can't wait till it's done. This is not mm-hmm. going to be done. Um, uh, which, by the way, actually, there is a group on Instagram I found called Seattle Still Cares, where they list uh, COVID conscientious businesses and like where they either require masking or they'll make accommodations. So if anybody is in the Pacific Northwest and you know businesses doing that kind of thing, please add to that list because people like me are looking for those businesses. And it's really hard to just do web searches for that kind of thing. I don't mean to plug stuff in the middle. Or no, the no, no, no. Do it. But, I, um, it's a company. It's Seattle a, cares. What is it? Seattle, Seattle still, still cares. Okay. They're on Instagram. Um, <clears> and <throat> I think they have a Twitter account. I'm not on Twitter anymore since the Muskate happened. So, but I think they're there too. And, um, even though they didn't have businesses I was looking for, like I asked them for a veterinarian, I was able to give them the dog groomer I found that was safe and the dentist and stuff. So the more people that can, you know, fill in those gaps, the easier it makes it the more accessible. It makes it <laughs> for uh, people who are immunocompromised or disabled in ways that they have to be careful about COVID still and want to find and support businesses. Like I will drive two hours to a business that is safe for me to go to a because I want to support that kind of mentality, but B, I want to, I want to get out. (laughs) Like (laughs) I want to go do things. I want to see people desperately. And um, there are people who do make it possible and who do do it. But when you're having to isolate, it's really difficult to find them. So anything anybody can do to help that. I appreciate, I'm sure there's others like you too. Um, And so that's kind of the, you know, the plan, the game plan for now. And, you know, eventually in 10 years, I would like to be in Europe. 
I didn't. <laughs> wow. I don't think so. That's that's that, that's mostly a joke. Just in you know how uh, quality of life is for disabled people in the U.S. Ideally, I'd like to not be here, but uh, we'll get there. We'll we'll see what happens in ten years. God knows what will we. There's so much unprecedented every year. I don't think we can really predict that far at this point, <laughs> unless you know something I don't. Uh, no, I do not. Yeah. <laughs> anyway well Ari, i just really appreciate your time i know this is a long episode but i hope that also you're agreeable to our five more episodes that we planned during this absolutely i've got nothing but time on my hands and um (laughs) and also i know that i am not the most distinct person but it really to get to the nuance of these things it does just take time and take talking you need more than a three minute tiktok for sure maybe like 8,000 three, three minute TikTok. I, I, I'm so sorry again that you had to scroll all the way to the beginning because that I don't do that. I, I mean, it was to- kind of fun to see how long it would take me because I know how many videos you put out. Oh, well, God. And, <laughs> and I, it only like, lets you load so many at a time. It won't let, and it won't let me count anymore. The total I used to, my trick used to be that I'd plug the link to my profile into a browser and then it would list how many TikToks oh. I have. I don't do that anymore. So now I, the last I saw was 8,500 interesting uh, <laughs> so and yeah like you say you can't just like say to go to the beginning it's it is what it is well if people want to follow you on tiktok where would they how would they find you oh so my username is airy.cack cack everyone and i cursed myself so airy is e-r-i yes e-r-i dot c-a-c-k um and then uh through the link tree that you can find in my profile there you can find like my instagram and everything else i'm not i am not somebody who seeks a platform or seeks an audience but if you're interested in somebody just kind of losing their mind that's entertaining i guess so <laughs> feel <laughs> free to some, check it out. some fun plant talks in there once in a while yeah and there's about to be a lot of puppy content like i i'm going to be a menace about the puppy content so feel free to come by there it's going to be a cocker spaniel puppy nine weeks old when i get him or her it's going to be fun it's going to be all i talk about for a while (laughs) understandable (laughs) well thank you again i'm going to ring us out with the bell um and i just want to remind people to remember to live because someday we'll all be dead